welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction joined today by Anne and Julian. Anne, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Anne Thomas, a GP in Manchester and a primary care medical educator also in Manchester. And Julian? Hi, I'm Julian Tompkinson. I'm a GP and trainer in Bolton and also a primary care medical educator in Manchester. Thank you. This podcast is part of the module which is called TALC, Advanced Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning of Personalised Care. It's mainly about the chapter called What Do You Do When You Don't Know What To Do? Skills for Discussing Uncertainty. There are very many aspects to the whole issue of how to cope with uncertainty in the consultation. And Alison Lee and I did some research on this and we've called it the What Do You Do When You Don't Know What To Do moment, which I think a lot of clinicians will recognise. Today, we're not going to look at the whole question of uncertainty. We're mainly going to focus on the skills we need for talking with patients about uncertainty and what kinds of approaches allow the clinician to express any uncertainties, but without losing the trust of the patient and without simply washing their hands of the patient and referring them off to someone else. And before we talk about how we can discuss uncertainties about what to do with patients, Could you say something about the inherent uncertainty of clinical practice, which is actually what we're not really going to be talking about? Yeah, I mean, the inherent uncertainty lies in the fact that people are different. We're all different. Um, People will respond differently to diseases and to treatments. So none of us can ever be totally certain which way things will go for any individual. Also, as a primary care clinician, we are seeing early and undifferentiated illness. And this also means that there's uncertainty about whether symptoms are due to a minor thing that will pass off or maybe the first sign of something more significant. Could you give some examples of that then? Yeah, I I mean, there may be two patients with um, a similar disease. So maybe somebody with heart failure classed on an echo as having moderate dysfunction of the ventricles. They may be given the same medication um, to prevent problems but they may live very different lives of symptoms and their lifespan may differ greatly clinicians can't control that i mean equally a patient with minor symptoms something maybe like dyspepsia or indigestion for a few days they may feel better in a week or the symptoms might still be there in three weeks and what's uncertain is that these early symptoms these minor symptoms they they may be something and nothing but they may be a sign of something serious but after three days it's it's impossible to be certain yeah there's some intrinsic uncertainties there aren't there and it it, it does point out the the most powerful test we have sometimes is that test of time where we wait and see what happens julian i think a lot of clinicians feel that uncertainty is not that easy what what kind of things do clinicians in training find difficult if they're trying to discuss uncertainties What's it like for them? Yeah, I mean, the the, uh, the things that come out when we talk about this subject is um, often a deep feeling of discomfort. Um, you know, the trainees that we work with often say they feel inadequate or embarrassed or incompetent. They feel their patients are dissatisfied with them or they just feel that they're 
person to look at them and think you don't know what you're talking about or you don't know what to do. And they often feel that the the senior clinicians that they work with know it all and don't have any of this uncertainty to deal with. <laughs> well, I think we all know that that's not true. Um, and actually, there's quite a lot of evidence around this, really. First of all, um, clinicians at all stages feel uncertain because, in a sense, the more senior you get, the more difficult the things you end up dealing with. Because if there's something that somebody lower down uh, isn't sure what to do about, then they ask somebody more senior. And as you become more senior, you end up being the person who gets to be asked about all these more and more difficult things. So definitely seniors have to cope with a lot of uncertainty. But also, I think a lot of people think that some specialties are more uncertain than others. People often talk about primary care as being a very uncertain specialty, for example. And there's been quite a lot of research about this. And if you ask people in different specialties, they nearly all say, well, actually, the specialty I work in is the most uncertain. And then they go on to explain why that is and what the uncertainties are. And I, I was quite disillusioned to discover, for example, that histopathologists uh, think that they have a very uncertain uh, specialty because we all think a tissue biopsy diagnosis is like the gold standard of diagnosis, but they apparently all sit around in meetings going, well, we're not quite sure just the extent to which these cells are discolored or have these cells taken up the stain enough to indicate that they're malignant or, or what. So, and, and again, the more you know about a subject the more you're dealing with the blurred edges so everybody has to deal with uncertainty but there are differences in the strategies used by clinicians who are more senior seniors talk about uncertainty differently and they use different strategies and i'm wondering what kind of strategies clinicians in training sometimes use that might not be the best ones yeah i think that a lack of experience in dealing with uncertainty can lead to dysfunctional ways out of that uncertainty. I think there's many of these which most clinicians will recognise. Um, these include things like making referrals, um, ordering tests or ordering more tests, um, perhaps deferring decisions to another time or um, passing the book to a different clinician or a, a senior um, trainer or supervisor. Um, with experience, more senior clinicians tend to use different skills, so relying more on consultation skills, um, finding different ways of describing and talking about uncertainty to avoid these dysfunctional ways out. Thank you. Ju Julian, can you give us some ideas about some strategies that clinicians might use to talk about uncertainty effectively with patients? Yeah, sure. I, I suppose one of the most effective ways is just to, to talk about, um, you know, to think out loud uh, and, and share your uncertainty with, with the patients. And that doesn't mean losing face. So you might use phrases like, well, it could be one of these two or three possible diagnoses. Or let me talk to you what, what's going through my mind now, what I'm thinking about now. Um, you know, things aren't quite fitting together. On the one hand, it could be this. On the other hand, it could be that. They're all little phrases like that that you can practice you know, um, in your own words, just to and not be scared to to you know share that there's a there isn't a clear decision. There are, there's pros and cons or uncertainty in what's going on. Mm. Yeah, I echo that, Julian. I, definitely that thought of um, that honesty in sort of talking through your own thinking um, and. 
Uh, my experience is that patients are really appreciative of that. And also the idea of, I think, of sort of sharing, um, expressing uncertainty about expressing probabilities. So saying, using phrases like, you know, the most likely thing is, um, or what usually happens in these situations, perhaps if symptoms settle over time. But I think that's that definitely that sort of sharing, that honesty um, can help in that communication of, of uncertainty. It sounds like these phrases could really help to sort of hold the uncertainty and accept it, but remaining in a positive way kind of thing. And I think another approach is to relate your explanations or your uncertainties to the patient's own concerns and fears, because sometimes that's more important than an exact diagnosis. So, for example, somebody might say, oh, I'd be really worried that I caught herpes. Uh, well, then you might examine them and say, well, actually, the good news is this rash is definitely not herpes. Now, that might be the most important bit of relief they need. They might be less concerned about what that rash actually is, even though you might be not sure what name to put on it. Or, for example, people might you might say something like you mentioned your family history of cancer, which is obviously worrying. But you might also say your current symptoms are much less likely to be caused by cancer because which is to talk through your thinking. And that's a valid thing to say, even if you can't name the actual cause of the symptoms. The patient may be mostly concerned to know that it's not a cancer, especially if the symptom itself isn't particularly troublesome. But equally, you might pick up on a patient's concern um, who said, you know, you might say something like, well, you thought the bleeding was caused by your piles, but actually I, I've examined you carefully and I can feel something a bit higher up, which, which is beyond the piles, which means this needs pro checking out properly at the hospital. And you still don't know necessarily what, what that is, uh, and you might be uncertain how to move that discussion on to a discussion of possible cancer, but you're still using the patient's concerns as a sort of trigger, and that can give you a kind of anchoring point for moving on. What about following up people after uncertain situations? Are, are there any useful things clinicians can say about that, Julian? Yeah, I suppose uh, the term, uh, the phrase safety netting came in a, a few years ago, and uh, and I, I suppose it's, it's it sometimes gets a bit watered down, the, the term, but I think really it's about having clear instructions about what's going to happen next, when to contact us again, um, so you might use a phrase like, things are stable just now, everything looks okay. Um, but we've discussed what may be more concerning, you know, and what, what concerning signs you might need to look out for. And I'll, I'll get back to you in three days or after the weekend to check how you're getting on. Um, mm. And do you want to add anything there? Yeah, I, I, mean, I think there's um, other ways of following up which... Um, can help. So, I mean, maybe after referral, um, if you're making a referral, giving some instruction about, you know, perhaps leave me a message, let me know what happened at the emergency department so I can keep an eye on what's happening to you. So I think it's that, um, the sharing of your uncertainty, but, you know, that continuing interest in what's happening. And I, I think that approach builds a strong clinician-patient relationship. You're sharing the, I hate to say the word, but the, the journey. Um, but you're sharing that journey and, you, and you're sort of walking through that with the patient saying, look, I don't know what's happened. There is some inherent uncertainty, but we're going to find out together. And I think that helps to build the relationship. And whatever happens next, it's then going to be helpful in sort of negotiating um, through the options. I think that's really true. And I think one thing that I would emphasise here is that the skills for talking about uncertainty, they're, they're not a substitute for sound clinical reasoning. You've really got to 
get your clinical assessment and your thinking straight. Um, but they are a good way sometimes to clarify your own thinking and to set up safe ways of dealing with uncertainty with the patient while maintaining a positive relationship. Um, have you, what experience have you had with that, Julian? Do you think that that's worked for you, that kind of discussion? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's almost always well received. And I, I think, I mean, I, I know starting off myself that um, it was often my own worries and feeling of, of feelings of inadequacy that were actually the driving the way I was feeling and uh, inhibiting what I was doing rather than, you know, actually an issue with being honest with people and and it's so right what you say i mean you had somebody last night who um, had abdominal pain quite severe abdominal pain after having a baby a couple of weeks ago and um just by finding out i mean i wasn't sure exactly what was wrong i spoke to the gynecologist on call they weren't really sure what was going on it was a little bit odd but the patient's concern was i think i've got cancer um and just by saying like you said earlier on you know, you obviously got a really sore tummy. There's some rebound. I need to ask the gynecologist to get involved and see you. But definitely, none of what you've said makes me think you've got cancer. And and did she just her face just melted? She wasn't worried about going to hospital as an emergency. She wasn't worried that I didn't know what was going on. She just looked, and obviously she needed follow up and help. But she she looked reassured that her fears weren't likely to be the ones that were actually what's going on in the scenario so and, and it, that's an interesting one isn't it because as a clinician it was probably very low down on your list of possibilities you'd be thinking much more about infection or some complication to do with the pregnancy or, or just yeah. some random other thing um but you can't really sort of know what need what what somebody else is thinking and and picking up that idea and concern from the patient is also a good way of helping you to get your thoughts mm. straight as well because at the same time as you're thinking to yourself well it's probably not cancer that automatically makes you think it's much more likely to be these other things that you, that you can be thinking of yeah. and I think that's very true and I think sometimes when I'm talking with clinicians in training about uncertainty they adopt a slightly sort of helpless attitude they sort of they're listening to something which they're not quite sure of and instead of kind of being methodical and working it out, which is what senior clinicians will do, and like you did, you got certain bits of information together and you thought, well, I'll consult with the gynecologist, I'll, I'll, I'll have a plan that, you know, proceeds. They just kind of get into a helpless state and say, oh, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know at all. I haven't got a clue, which does lose the trust of the patient because mm. the, the patient doesn't necessarily expect you to know instantly but they do expect you to know how to work it out. And I think one of the other thing with senior clinicians as well is, is it looks easy from the outside because you don't see the sort of paddling under the water, as it were, where, you know, they're sailing along quite happily, but inside their head, they're thinking, well, it could be this, could be that. I need to check this. I need to check that. I've got to remember they're on this medication because that can give this side effect. So they're kind of working things out in a very methodical way. And I think that isn't always obvious to clinicians in training. Yeah, but equally, the, the message for the clinicians in training, this is, you know, it, it, it remains the hardest, almost the hardest part of your job is, mm -hmm. is holding this uncertainty. And, it, and it, it is influenced by how you feel that day, what's gone on before, what you've got to do next, how time pressured you are. And, and it does get better. And, and you know, you've, there's some great um, resources in the, in the talk um, course that can really help you just try and get an understanding of, of what what's going on and also you know have some little strategies 
of what to do when you're stuck. Um, and that, yeah. that's just, it, but it, it takes practice and you're not expected to, you know, be, be at that level straight away. It's a, mm. you know, it's a challenge. No, it is a challenge. And I think it's interesting what you say about strategies too, because I think, again, experienced clinicians use different strategies to less experienced clinicians. Less experienced ones will often, for example, do some tests um, because they think it'll show something. And if it does show something, they'll know what to do. But then quite often those tests are normal uh, and then they still don't know what to do. So I think another skill in terms of talking about this is when you're thinking about tests, particularly if there's potentially functional problems or transient problems, is to actually signal ahead. So say something like, you know, I, mm. I think we should do these tests, but we're both hoping these will be normal. It's very likely. I want to rule out that you're anemic, uh, but it's quite likely that this test will be normal. So what we're going to do is start working on your symptoms straight away by doing this thing or, or by being very clear that the only key thing is that we need to do a test to rule out, let's say, hypothyroidism or, or anemia. And as long as that's normal, we, we don't need to worry. Rather than saying, oh, it's it's not hypothyroid. Well, what is it then? Let's go running around mm-hmm. doing lots of other things. So it's it's about having strategies that, that kind of take you in the right direction rather than things that just give you more trouble, I think, in a way. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because it would be really difficult to pick those up. Now, Within the consultation, talking about uncertainty builds on effective information gathering, knowing what the patient's own perspective is and having good explaining skills. And of course, these skills are covered in the other modules within TAUC. The larger issues of how to work through different kinds of uncertainty are also dealt with in, and there's a conflict of interest alert here, the book that Alison Lee and I wrote called Mapping Uncertainty in Medicine, What Do You Do When You Don't Know What to Do, which looks at how to handle uncertainty in a lot of very different situations, not all of them consultation related. But I think the key message is that generalists deal with this by developing the right skills. And if you've got the right skill, you can apply that in a big variety of different circumstances, which will nearly always help you to deal with uncertainty in a more elegant and comfortable way. Thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.